Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claggett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. I am Jason Kong. Happy to be here alongside Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. The lovely Nicole Cleggett, I forgot to add. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm back uh, from a small vacation that I had and um, happy to be back in North Carolina, although the blistering heat is upon us. Yes, you certainly... <laughs> I hope you got a small break from the heat I while you did. were gone. I did. It was mid-80s, and it felt like fall. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, Nicole, we've got a wonderful program lined up today, and we're going to be talking about a program that I think is going to be of very much interest to our audience, and that is the PACE program. And to do that, we've brought in Christine Bellino. She is uh, a marketing and enrollment officer with PACE and the uh, Senior Community Care of North Carolina. Christine, thank you so much for joining us thank this evening. Thank you so much for having me. So this is an awesome topic for me to talk about because I've been very familiar with PACE since, my goodness, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so it's a pretty awesome and innovative program still to this day. Very hard to manage on the management side of things because it is so incredibly inclusive. So I'm super excited to talk to you, Christine, um, and and really help folks understand what PACE is and how it may be able to help their loved one maintain independence where they call home now. Thank you. PACE stands for Program of All-Inclusive Care for the Elderly. And I like to say that it's kind of like an ice cream sundae with you know, vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream, strawberry, the banana, the whipped cream, the nuts, the cherry on top. And you can't just have like just the cherry or just the vanilla ice cream. Even that's my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You have to have kind of the whole, um, the whole ice cream. The whole Sunday. And so that is the crux of our program. We offer all-inclusive services. Everything that we do at the PACE Center is managed by an IDT, which stands for Interdisciplinary Team. So that is comprised of many different disciplines, including a doctor, CNA, our transportation coordinator sits on that, um, dietary, recreation therapy, social work. So it's a situation where if a loved one is getting care, the doctor doesn't know, do anything that the dietitian doesn't know about. The social worker knows everything that's going on with the individual as well. Recreation doesn't do anything that physical therapy doesn't know about. So it's all of these services combined to provide this one big, wonderful, delicious ice cream sundae. So you know what's very popular these days is deconstructing dishes. Mm-hmm. So I would like to deconstruct the Sunday actually okay, and, and talk about <laughs> what exactly is the cherry what are the nuts well mm-hmm. I could be a nut sometimes but <laughs> you know what exactly do you consider the ice cream and just so that folks understand you know what are the programs and services that are provided for PACE so great question we do all medical care laboratory work physical therapy occupational therapy some home care um, dietary issues social work Transportation. Transportation to and from their doctor's appointments. Most of our medical care takes place in one building. So they'll come to our day center. A participant would come to our day center. So like an adult daycare center that we've talked about on the show before. Right. Okay. And they, from the day center, would have their medical appointments, any therapies that they need. 
We would also, if they had an outside appointment, most of our outpatient services, like we don't, we do dental work, we do optometry, audiology, all of those things, and we have people who come into the center to provide those services, but obviously we're not going to operate on a root canal. We're not going to do cataract surgery in our building. So for most of those services, we um, do provide outpatient services primarily through Duke, but we do have some other great providers as well, and we do provide transportation to those services. So, But we coordinate all of the care, so the doctor at the PACE facility or the nurse practitioner at the PACE facility will send the person to Duke, communicate, follow up with that person, then communicate back with that person's family. So if I'm a family caregiver at home right now and I'm thinking about, you know, how overwhelmed I am for caring for my loved one, why would I consider a PACE program and how is that going to make my life and my loved one's life easier? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. So say, for example, we're all sitting around the table on a Saturday evening listening to a great radio show. And <laughs> like this one. Like this one. <laughs> and you know, you're sitting around the table and you're noticing things are a little bit slower than they used to be. Maybe mom or dad or grandma or grandpa isn't quite coping as well as they may have in the past. So um, we do get a lot of phone calls on like Saturday nights, Sunday nights, all the time because those are the times that people spend with their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And you determine, you know, things are just, I just need a little bit of help. Um, so you would call us and we would do an assessment. We do a telephone assessment to see if our program really is the one that best fits you. In our area, we're so blessed to have so many different great facilities and providers that provide care for the aging population. Um, so if someone definitely needs you know, a little bit more help and maybe just some wraparound services or is not quite sure what they're dealing with, they would give us a call and we would do an assessment over the telephone. Then we do an intake, which is one to three hours. We sit and talk to you and determine you know, whether indeed PACE is the right program for you and if you're looking for those all-inclusive services. Now, I will say like we get a lot of calls, typical Sunday morning calls, and people say, you know, mom just isn't able to do the laundry anymore I'm worried she's going to fall you know do you provide home care services and they're just looking for home care services mm-hmm. that would not be someone who would be mm-hmm. a good participant for a PACE program even though down the line they might be you know that's not like that's just the whipped cream part <laughs> of that Sunday you know so we it would be the home care services it would be the medical care it would be all inclusive um, they do have to switch their primary care provider to us because of the fact that we're coordinating all that care. So that would be an ideal participant for PACE. And if you're not sure, it never hurts to call us and find out. Um, PACE is a national program, so it's run by, we always we have many bosses at our PACE. So our name is Senior Community Care of North Carolina. We are managed by Volunteers of America. We have very few volunteers there. We're all paid (laughs) staff members. But our mission is really to uplift the American people. That's VOA's mission. And so even if someone calls us and does not qualify for PACE or we just don't think that it's the right Sunday for them, we will refer them to someone else. But we do spend quite a bit of time trying to assess their needs and determine if PACE is the right program for them. So I guess walk me through a patient scenario, maybe somebody that you've seen experience PACE and it's made all the world a difference. Mm -hmm. Because I said, I think sometimes uh, listeners really like to kind of just like picture, you know, if this was my scenario, mm-hmm. how might it look and feel? So we have quite a few participants. We have, you know, and, and I'll be the first to say PACE is not the right program for everyone because some people do not like the all-inclusive nature mm-hmm. of the program. And we do kind of get all up into your business, but it's for that reason. <laughs> so true. But for that reason, <clears throat> excuse me, we try to stop a cold before it becomes pneumonia. We'll identify a sprain before it becomes a broken leg or femur or hip. Um, 
so the process of, of getting enrolled in the program is basically someone will identify the need, we'll go out and do an assessment, they will come to our center and meet their team, mm -hmm. the team that would care for them when in fact they enrolled in PACE, and then um, join PACE. We're the only PACE, we're the only um, Medicaid program that enrolls on the first of the month, so someone can't and it is kind of a lengthy process. It takes between 30 and 60 days to get enrolled in PACE. So it's not an immediate salve for any challenge that anybody is undertaking. Um, and I will say most of our participants are Medicaid and Medicare, dually Dual eligible. Enrolled, yeah. We do have some who privately pay for our program. That It's approximately $4,600 a month, which sounds like a lot of money. But when you're balancing that between us and a nursing home, it does seem like a bargain. But um, we do have a couple of really great success stories and I always wanted to be able to say you know I wish there was a way that we could heal everybody so that there wouldn't be a need for PACE programs but as we know with the aging population that will never happen mm -hmm. so but we do have folks who participate in our program and we had one gentleman who has Parkinson's disease and when he came to the program he was wheelchair bound for the most part when he would have a burst of energy he would stand up and kind of run down the hallway as much as he could and fall. He was falling about 50 times a day. Mm. And one of the amazing things that happened when he became a part of our program is because of the integrated nature of the services that we provided, everyone was able to see, all the disciplines were able to see what the other disciplines were doing. We were able to get his Parkinson's under control. And he now is in the community. He gets on a bus every single day. He is not wheelchair bound he puts a backpack on his back he's a relatively young man and he's now out in the community several of our staff members have seen him at stores at Whole Foods at Trader Joe's <laughs> and things like that and he really doesn't need us anymore he comes in for his medication management and things like that but he's a very highly functioning member of the community living a great quality of life so that's atypical but certainly one of you know the success stories that I like to share. Yeah, that's a, an incredible story. We've got Christine Bellino here in the studio. She is head of marketing and enrollment with PACE, also known as the Senior Community Care of North Carolina. We're going to continue our conversation with Christine right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. I want to remind you if you want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, head over to transitionslifecare.org. Org. Jason Kong here in the studio with Nicole Cleggett of Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. And our guest is Christine Bellino. She is head of marketing and enrollment with PACE, uh, also known as the Senior Community Care of North Carolina. And Nicole, PACE sounds wonderful. It sounds like a, a great option for people, but we got to, I guess, narrow it down and see who is eligible for eligible for PACE and who is not. Yeah, it really is one of those best kept secrets in long-term care. Often, when it was sort of first um, out there in the world, people often referred to it as the nursing home without walls. So people who are typically nursing home eligible um, for a long-term bed uh, would be able to instead be accepted into a PACE program and actually live in their home in the community. And I think programs like this are really going to be the wave of the future for many different reasons, one of which being uh, most 
most people do not want to live in a nursing home. Um, second being, uh, there are not going to really be enough long-term care communities to handle the influx of people. So wouldn't it be great if we could find more community-based organizations that can actually better manage and help that person have a better quality of life? such as the PACE program right here in in North Carolina. So let's talk a little bit about eligibility. We did touch on that, you know, that there, if folks could potentially pay privately for it, but whether you pay privately or not, you still have to be eligible, correct? Like correct. I couldn't, well, let's just pretend I was of age. I couldn't just join PACE if I didn't really meet the medical criteria. Right. So they have to qualify for an FL2 level of care, which is basically a skilled level of care. Mm-hmm be 55 or older, Mm -hmm. live in our service area, and our service area covers most of Durham County, all of Wake County, and a little sliver of Granville County. So our site is located in Durham. It's right by uh, Briar Creek, so it's kind of on the border between Raleigh. Yeah, RTP-ish. Correct. (laughs) And so it is, um, they also have to live safely in the community with our services, so that's our whole mission is to keep someone in the community and out of a nursing home for as long as possible. Now that's not to say that someone may not eventually elect to go to a nursing home, Mm -hmm. but for as long as possible, we're gonna keep them in their homes. And then of course, meet any other eligibility criteria that the state sets forth, because we do have to answer to CMS, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, um, and the state at all times, so. So I just had a curiosity. I know that there are two, and this might be getting into the weeds a little bit, but I know that there are sort of two types of Medicaid approval. Um, there's the community-based Medicaid, and then there's also more re- residential facility-based Medicaid. Which type of Medicaid does a person need to be on in order to be eligible for PACE? So I did not know this until I started working in my <laughs> current job, but there are a dozens and dozens and dozens of different kinds of Medicaid. So there is something called PACE Medicaid. Ah. So it is a form of long-term care Medicaid at present the income eligibility requirement for that is $1,041 a month. So you can't have income coming in more than that amount to be eligible. So if you do have income coming in that's more than that, say just for argument's sake you have an income of $1,042 a month. <laughs> you have a $1 copay? You have a $1 copay, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the you have a $1 copay every month for as long as that you have that 1042 However, that is your only copay then. You do not pay any other costs. We pay for prescriptions. We pay for all of your medical care. If you go to the hospital. Depends things of that nature. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Any incontinence supplies, medications, anything that's medical that you require, any therapies or anything like that, we pay for all of that. So we do have some folks, most of our folks, more than 90% are dually eligible, as I said before. And some of those have zero copay whatsoever. And we will work with someone to try to get them to be eligible for Medicaid once they join our program or prior to joining our program, but the um, we do have some folks who pay, you know, in excess of $3,000 a month for their copay, but for them, based on their home care needs and supplies and medications, it's worth it. So I will be very honest with someone and say, you know, if, if your medical needs right now are not that intensive and you're going to have a $400 a month copay, then it may not be the program for you, mm-hmm. at least at this time. Right, right. And so I'm guessing that this is there. This is quite a popular program. So do you hold a waiting list? Or I mean, is your capacity just, you know, you could take thousands of people? How does that work? I wish we could take thousands of people. So North Carolina does have several PACE programs. It's one of the states that has the most PACE programs. But our um, program right now does not have a waiting list. Like you said before, it is a very well-kept secret. (laughs) And so hopefully after doing shows like this, it won't be so much of a secret. But we don't have a waiting list right now. 
I anticipate that at some point we will meet our cap, but we haven't met it right now. So, okay. um, but in the, the process does take a long time. It takes between 30 and 60 days to enroll. So similar to a process of even moving into a long-term care community, there's Absolutely. medical paperwork that needs to be completed and things, and then financial eligibility, right. things of that nature. So and that we, we do work with Medicaid professionals from um, Wake, Durham, and Granville. We actually have a Wake County Medicaid caseworker in-house. Oh, wow. So, you know, when we get an application, we literally just walk it across the hallway. If there's any issues with the case, we have someone physically we can talk to right then and there. Mm -hmm. um, and so for Wake County, um, it happens a little bit more expeditiously. With Durham County, there's a team of, I think, six people that we deal with on a regular basis. And Granville, um, there are one or two people that we work with. So um, it was more on payment, um, if somebody had long-term care insurance, for example, would that help cover this? No. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So it has to be Medicare, Medicaid, or private pay only. Oh, wow. So I'm surprised. Yeah. Even their Part D plan would go away. We would become their Part D provider at mm. that point for, for Medicare. So it is a little confusing, but um, not to get in the weeds now, but we would go over that with somebody mm -hmm. and help them through that process if they were to enroll. And then I guess another question that I have is related to hospital and palliative care mm -hmm. if somebody on your services needed hospice or palliative care is that something you provide or do you work with other hospice or organizations across the area both um, and you know we do work with transitions that's one of the programs that we work with but we do have our own program in-house and the reason we did that was because we had a participant who had was getting ready to pass or did pass eventually and the family had said you know it's great we had a wonderful experience at this other facility however they had gotten to know our entire team mm -hmm. throughout the course of five years right and so for them it was a little disconcerting just to have new people caring as right. they were right. there at the end of life and sure. so we adopted a, a program where we started doing more of that in-house and some people still do elect to do you know different different services so they are allowed to do that if absolutely they want. it's just whatever's going to make them most comfortable at the time and then if a person you know similar to hospice if a person um, elects to become part of a pace program they can quit at any time too they can quit at you know, any I think time. sometimes people get confused sort of like you know at the beginning of the year with Medicare you pick a program and you're stuck with it for a year it's not like that with pace right, right? not at all you can quit at any time the only thing that would be a little bit of a challenge is your Medicaid would not end until the end of the month. So because Pace Medicaid starts on the first of the month, it also ends on the last day of the month. So the before. timing is just so just the timing. But you can still, you know, leave the services, and we will never just strand somebody and say, "Oh, you know, you're not <laughs> Pace <laughs> anymore, bad. so you're on your own." It's we have um, both an ethical and legal mandate to make certain that that person's healthcare needs are covered until they get into whatever program is going to work for them. So when somebody comes to your building and meets with you, Christine, what are some of the most commonly asked questions about the Pace program? Mm -hmm. How much is this going to cost? Uh, this sounds too good to be true. <laughs> um, what are the, you know, if, how do I know if I make too much money to qualify for Medicaid? Um, do I have to come to the day center? Yeah. And so, and my answer to that, generally speaking, is, you know, we have some folks who want to come to the day center five days a week. But we also have people who want to only come for their medical appointments. Mm -hmm. and, and that's okay? And that is okay. As long as, you know, their medical uh, needs don't require that they're coming in weekly. And if they are, then that's something that we talk about. You know, if somebody has a wound that needs to be dressed weekly, then we will ask them to come to the day center. We also send nurses out to the home. Our doctor and uh, nurse practitioners go out to the homes on a regular basis as needed. So our day center itself is open from Monday through Friday. 
8 to 5 normal hours, but our staff is available 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It is not uncommon for us to have one of our nurses go to someone's house, you know, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, any time of the day mm -hmm. that's required. Um, our goal is to keep them in their home, out of the nursing home for as long as possible, out of hospitals, and just living a really great quality of life. So if folks want more information, how do they get a hold of you? They can call us. Telephone number is 919-425-3000. That's 425-3000. And I'll give you our website, but it's really long. It's seniorcommunitycarenc.org. But easier than that is just to Google NC Pace, P-A-C-E, and you just type in your zip code and it'll come up with the Pace Center that's closest to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Again, you can Google NC Pace or go online to SeniorCommunityCareNC.org. That phone number again, 919-425-3000. Our thanks again to Christine Bellino, Head of Marketing and Enrollment with Pace and Senior Community Care of North Carolina. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, our uh, cavalcade of stars continues now. And we're going to be uh, shifting gears a little bit, and we're going to be talking a lot about the patient experience, and I, I think that's so important for what we discuss on this program and, and for caregiving in general and for uh, our loved ones who are receiving treatment. And to do that, we brought in someone with uh, a great background and a unique title. I really like this title, the Vice President for Experience Innovation with the Barrel Institute, and she is Cr Tiffany Christensen. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you to be here and have this conversation. Oh, I'm so excited. I have been following you not in a stalking way for, <laughs> for, for quite a while now, and I'm always very empowered and motivated by the things that you have to say, so I'm expecting great things from you tonight. Oh boy. No, no pressure. I haven't had enough coffee for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tiffany, why don't we start off with, sort of, if you're, if you're comfortable with that, your personal story, yeah. you know, kind of what brought you into this world and kind of what, what colors the things that you're going to be talking to, about, to us about in the future. Yeah. Yeah, my, my patient background is what brought me to the world of healthcare at six months of age. So I was diagnosed mm -hmm. as a baby with cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic lung disease, progressive. Um, at the time that I was born, I was expected to live to be about eight years old. Obviously, I've been right around the curve of medical in innovation, which has yeah. allowed me to now to be 45. Um, the other piece of the puzzle that's that has been really significant in my life is that in my early 20s, I was placed on a lung transplant list at UNC Chapel Hill. And in 2000, I received my first double lung transplant, which uh, unfortunately uh, began to reject after a few years. So I was fortunate enough to, in 2004, have a second double lung transplant. And now I'm waiting on a kidney transplant. So I figure oh. by the end of it all, I'll just replace all my parts and see how that goes. We'll call you Mrs. Potato Head. <laughs> <laughs> Replacing all your parts and pieces. Oh my goodness. Um, wow, what a journey that has been. So uh, you definitely saw healthcare from the bedside. Yes, absolutely. And it, it's been, um, 
something that I think the one thing that for me has been different is that I have always, and I don't know why, you can ask me why, but I don't know why, uh, since I can remember, I've always seen illness as a gift. I've always seen this experience of living with um, death right on my shoulder, um, living with all of these complications and having to interact with healthcare. I've seen all of that as a gift ever since I can remember. So for me, um, I think that's helped my journey in giving me this perspective that what I'm doing has meaning. And what I'm doing, even if I'm laying in a bed just trying to get through the day, uh, has some lesson to teach me. And so for me, uh, I wouldn't change a thing. So you truly are representative of the butterfly effect. You know, you've had an experience that's happened to you, and you've let that ripple on to impact so many others in the work that you've done throughout your career. So I thank you for the gift of you to our community because Mm -hmm. it it has been phenomenal and will continue to be so. So let's talk a little bit about understanding that patient experience because, you know, as a family caregiver, I've been a patient a few times in my life, obviously having multiple children, but as a family caregiver, it it feels incredibly isolating watching your family member at the bedside and just trying to be there to be an advocate. Absolutely. And, and I will say, as a person who's been a patient my whole life, I would much rather be a patient than a family caregiver. Um, and I say that with all respect. Uh, I find the level, uh, my mother a few months ago had a stroke, so I've had a recent experience with being that family member standing next to the bed in the ER, next to the bed in the, in the inpatient unit and in the rehab. And I will say that the level of hopelessness, helplessness, Mm. um, frustration, um, not only with trying to navigate the healthcare system, but also trying to navigate really complex family dynamics (laughs) that that come up. There's none of that. No, (laughs) I'm sure I'm the only one who's ever experienced (laughs) that. (laughs) Um, So when those things come up, you know, for me anyway, I I suppose I was, even with my background, quite naive. Um, That really hit me harder. In a lot of ways, the family dynamics were more challenging than anything else. Uh, yeah, I will say, you know, that that was a huge eye opener for me too. You know, when I was a caregiver for my grandfather, you know, after being working in the senior care industry for a good 10 years at that point, you know, I pretty much knew the players, I knew the resources. And, and then suddenly when I was caregiving for him, holy cow, I mean, I still, kn- maybe it was almost worse because I knew how it was supposed to work. So. I don't know, but I was so completely overwhelmed yes. and then dismayed by the family dysfunction, quite frankly, you know, just when I needed a break and it's mm-hmm. like I had to beg people to help me. And I thought, wow, this is what families go through. Well, and gosh darn it for people having their own opinions, right? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm the expert here. I've been advocating my whole life, and now all of a sudden, my mother has an opinion about how she wants her care to be delivered. How dare and I she have to navigate that, right? Yeah, and my yeah. sister has one, and my brother has one, and my dad has one, yeah. and now we all have our own opinions. And what do we do with that? Mm. And it just it it can be quite exhausting, and it can be quite confusing. So one of the things that I know families often struggle with related to the helplessness, you know, you get to the point where you realize for some family situations, I just can't do this alone anymore. So I need to now bring in some outside help, whether it's community-based care, whether it's residential long-term care, we need other players involved. And then suddenly you have issues that arise with bringing outside 
people in. You know, we all can deal with our own little internal dysfunction as family members the way we do. But then when we bring in outside organizations, it starts to feel helpless because now I have an outside person in that's helping my loved one who's in a very fragile condition, but I'm not exactly happy with how it's going. Hmm. How do I bring that up without becoming, you know, a pimple on that person's face (laughs) (laughs) and and really being a pain in the butt? And, and, And frankly, people worry about the fear of reprisal. If I complain about this one little itty bitty thing, is mom going to get terrible care in the future. Yes. And, and I will share that in a, as a part of my professional journey, I was a patient advocate at a ma- major academic medical center, which means that I was the recipient of all complaints and grievances for a specific service Just line. Just a few, I'm sure. Um, there was n- very <laughs> few. But, um, but so what that enabled me to do is understand what it feels like on both sides of concerns and, and how to express them in a way that you're going to be heard. And I actually have have a, a quick little, um, I guess it's an acronym that I use that I borrowed from a, something called Team Steps, which is a safety team training. Uh, it's called CUS. So, oh. <laughs> yes, which I, I hope that people can remember if they're feeling confused or frustrated that they can CUS. And it stands for I'm in, I am concerned, I'm uncomfortable, I'm scared. And so basically what you're doing is you're putting all of your concerns in I language. Mm-hmm. So you're not blaming anybody or accusing anybody of anything, but you're also being really clear about what it is that's concerning you, what it is that is making you uncomfortable. And when you tell someone that you're scared, whether that's scared for the safety of or whether that's scared for the experience of or whatever that fear happens to be, that will really motivate the person who's listening to you, the clinician perhaps, to say, ooh, this is this is something that I need to pay closer attention to. Uh, so for me, using tools like that, being really cognizant of how I express my concern is important. It's also equally important not to decide to keep your mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Um, because you said you well, know, the fear of reper- repercussions uh, I will say that I'm not going to say that that never, ever, 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 ever happens. Mm -hmm. But the frequency by which it does is almost imperceptible. Mm -hmm. Working inside of healthcare, I know that people crave that type of feedback because that is the only way we can improve. When it gets adversarial is when the concern is presented in a way that is assuming that you don't care or assuming that you did it on purpose. And it's about going to the right person in tone. That's huge. Person in tone. Yes. That's a big piece of it. Man, we're having a great conversation. I hate to break it up, but we do have to pay some bills around here. We've got Tiffany Christensen <laughs> in the studio with us. She is the vice president of experience and vice president for experience innovation with the Barrel Institute. And we're going to continue this conversation right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. With your co host, Nicole Claykitt, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, this is Aging Matters, 
care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest in the studio is Tiffany Christensen. She is the Vice President for Experience Innovation with the Barrel Institute, and we're having a conversation all about the the patient experience and looking through this lens. And, you know, Nicole, it's it's something that we hinted on earlier, but uh, it's it's one thing to kind of talk about and to think about, but it's a whole nother thing when you're in it. You just got to watch those four-letter words. That's right. <laughs> Gosh, as, as we, <laughs> t- Tiffany got me a little nervous for being on the radio and talking about cuss, but uh, it, it was a different kind of cuss. It was a, it was a, a very productive kind of cuss. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's a place for it all, isn't there? <laughs> just not on WPTS. No, I, under- I understand that. We're not, we're in, yes, and we're not going to do that. So. so let's talk a little bit more about diving deep into that, because again, you know, whether a person's living in a skilled nursing facility, assisted living facility, Facility, whether they have a hospice or palliative care coming into their home or they're having private duty in-home care, you're engaging with other people who are trying to care for your loved one during a very emotionally taxing time. Yes. And advocating for that family member in a way that is not does not make the person you're talking to feel defensive but more empowered is super yes. important. And I think part of it is also knowing who to go to. Yes, yes. And, and also recognizing, uh, so th- there's a field of, of study now in looking at not only the patient experience, not only the family experience, but also the staff and clinician experience. And what we know is that unfortunately, the level of burnout and compassion fatigue in healthcare today is at epidemic proportions. Mm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The system is very complicated. There's obviously a lot of uh, clinical demands, but even more so um, administrative demands that are placed upon our providers. And it is causing a, a really challenging time in healthcare, not only for patients and families, but also for those who provide the care. So what I've witnessed is, um, and and I want to just quickly say this word advocate is Mm -hmm. one that I've used a lot in my life, but I I found that there's a a word that I prefer, and that is activated. Okay. Um, Advocates sometimes can feel adversarial. Mm -hmm. To say that I'm advocating for my loved one can sometimes feel like it's me against you, whereas to say I'm an activated family member, meaning I am participating, I am willing to learn, Mm -hmm. I'm willing to, um, you know, sit down and have a conversation, I am going to support my loved one by, you know, whatever those tasks might be that I can do to be supportive, uh, physically, emotionally, Mm -hmm. etc. So for me, and there's actually, and I won't go into this because it's too detail-y, but um, there is actually a way to measure a level of activation that patients have. Not to the point of being triggered. My son would say triggered (laughs) instead of activated. We're triggered. No, no, no. No, not that kind of activated. <laughs> no, but one that, that's actually a scale of one to four of sure. how activated you can be. So so all of that to say that I think we are human beings taking care of human beings. Mm-hmm. And if you are feeling frustrated as a um, family member or as a patient, that is valid. Mm-hmm. And there's also a validity on the other side of the bed, which is that they are struggling with things that maybe you're not privy to. So always approaching each other with that level of understanding that I may not understand exactly what it is that you're going through. I'm going to give you the benefit of doubt that you want to take a better uh, better care of my loved one or of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now let's figure out how do we become a team mm-hmm. to accomplish that as opposed to how do we you know, get on two opposite opposite ends of a spectrum and uh, feel like we're not on the same team. And even, you know, such things as being aware of your body language, you know, 
especially if you're dealing with more of the direct Caroline staff when you're coming up with, you know, the, your concerns, you know, just, you know, you don't go in there with your arms across and a scowl on your face. That may be how you're feeling on uh, on the inside, but, you know, just coming in with more of an open, o- mm-hmm. open body frame presence and, mm-hmm. and, and, Try to pick your times. Do I know some things you just can't wait? But I often try to teach this to my children. You know, don't come to me with a request while I'm in the middle of cooking dinner after I got home from a long day of work. Yada 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 yeah. yada. You got to pick your time. Read the room. Figure out when it's the right time to bring something up, and a person would be willing to receive that type of a message. Yes. Okay. And, and and like you said, who is the right person? Mm-hmm. Is it the nurse manager? Right. Is it a regulatory body? Right. Uh, you know, it really depends on the situation. So that's where that activation comes in too because you have to be educated enough to or at least curious enough Mm -hmm. to understand the system and understand where you need to plug in to get the results that you're looking for. And I will say I think a lot of our problems for lack of a better word uh, to use could be remedied or thwarted in advance is if we actually started focusing on having conversations with family members before the crisis. That advanced care planning, having conversations about what would you like if you were in this situation and if it feels awkward to have when you see someone else close to you going through a situation, using that as a conversation opener. Aunt Jean just had a stroke and she had a feeding tube. My mom's name is Jean. How did you know that? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we're synced. You know, but, but this is what you know she experienced and this is what it looked like yes. for her is is that the way you would want it to look for you absolutely you know instead of just putting the onus on well the and nicole i'll take it one step further and i'll say it's time for our culture to stop being so wimpy about thinking I, about death i agree i mean come I agree. on I like the fact that we wait until we're in our 80s and 90s to go oh this may not go on for infinity it's mm-hmm. just mind-boggling as a person who's grown up thinking about death my whole life yeah it's really hard for me to understand <laughs> how you get to be 86 and you didn't realize that at some point there would be an end you're activated on this issue aren't you i am very <laughs> activated <laughs> but but seriously you know my own father my mom passed away a year ago this past april i was visiting him this summer and god he lives in new york and doesn't listen to the show but i'm gonna out him right now he complained to me on my last visit that you know basically he's eating out of a can not for the fact that he can't cook he just doesn't care to he's one person now he never really had to do it so i was researching online, kind of found like a HelloFresh type thing mm. or whatever, one of those meal prep companies, and got him some nice meals delivered for the, for, for the holidays. Well, if that wasn't the worst thing I could have ever done, I he was so... Why? Because I was telling him he was not independent. Oh, he couldn't do it for himself. I mean, but seriously, so you can see what I'm going to be dealing with down the road yeah. here. But, you know, so... But for the reality of it is, is, you know, ah, we do have to get over some of this, and we are all aging. I need glasses. My husband needs a hearing aid. I mean, let's get on with the show. Yeah. <laughs> but but seriously, and we just need to face it and, and have conversations because the damage this, this does to the family yes. that remains behind after you go is sometimes something that cannot be repaired. Well, and it's quite selfish, honestly, in my and, opinion. And not the to level have of medical interventions that we put people mm-hmm. through that are in more suffering than yeah. helpful, get off the merry-go-round um, is mm-hmm. because we don't have these conversations ahead of time and so we just throw the kitchen sink at them for the last you know healthcare costs are what 80 percent of healthcare costs are at the end of life yep so we are throwing the, the kitchen sink at people trying to give you know dialysis and ventilation and all of that stuff mm-hmm. and they probably wouldn't have wanted that right. had they had the conversation and gotten real ahead of time so exactly we are on the same page my friend <laughs> preaching 
minute. So let's talk about the broader field of the patient experience briefly. Yeah, so I think it's important for people to understand that this uh, world of patient satisfaction and patient experience is something that is highly intensely focused on right now in healthcare. And there are ways that family members and patients can be a part of that field of experience. So becoming a patient family advisor, telling your story, writing letters, giving feedback, um, real-time feedback, all of those things contribute to improving patient and family experience. And if you think that those things don't matter, I will tell you that is absolutely not true. We we value that feedback and we do make changes based on that feedback. So I would just encourage folks to to look into the fact uh, you can go to the barrelinstitute.org and it's not barrel as in I'm on a barrel going over the <laughs> falls. It's um, B-E-R-Y-L, which is a mineral. Um, so looking at, you know, different organizations that really amplify the voice of patients and families can teach you how to get involved in a way that's really meaningful and will change the landscape of healthcare. So if you've liked what you heard from Tiffany today, um, I encourage you to come on out to the upcoming Caregiver Summit on June 6th at the Sheraton Imperial. Uh, the uh, website is caregiversummit.org. She is actually one of our opening session speakers and is going to be talking to us more about the patient experience. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. This has been fun. Phenomenal job, Tiffany. Thank you so much for coming in. Again, caregiversummit.org, the website to find more information about the upcoming summit. If you want to hear more from Tiffany. It's a great place to go. Uh, registration is open for all the sessions. So go head on over there right now, caregivers, or, excuse me. Yeah, caregiversummit.org. And I want to thank Tiffany Christensen again for coming on, the Vice President for Experience Innovation with the Barrel Institute. More information online at thebarrelinstitute.org. Remember, barrel spelled B E R. Y-L. Great website there. A wonderful resource. We're out of time for today. Thank you so much for listening to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.